In the beginning, there was darkness, and God created light. We saw his face illuminated, and we knew him. But then, as sin entered our hearts, we turned from him and plunged ourselves back into darkness. Our view of God grew dimmer and dimmer as we fled further away. We lost sight of his true character. The God we once saw shining bright in majesty became hidden from us by the lies we surrounded ourselves with. But even in the darkness, our God is in control. Even through our questioning, our God is ruler over creation and unchanging amidst our confusion. He is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, infinite in understanding. And we are blessed when we seek his face. Our love is deeper when we know the God of eternal love. Our worship is sweeter when we recognize the holiness of the author of life itself, when the lies and the mystery fall away. We know the truth about God. Well, hello, Cornwall Church. I'm going to say on faith, you look fantastic today. I'm trusting that that's the truth. Hey, before we get into the message today, I wanted to take uh, just a minute uh, to explain a couple things. One of them is, is my eye, actually. You may have noticed if you're watching online, uh, that's a little bit different. Well, after Pastor Kip showed that picture of me from the 4th of July, he and I got into it, and you ought to see him. He is an absolute mess. I'm just kidding. I had a, a little skin cancer taken off my eye. They had to reconstruct my eyelid, and so uh, it's a little swollen. I was going to wear a patch, and I thought about doing my entire, doing my whole sermon in me pirate voice, arr, and all God's people would say, arr, but I decided not to do that. Uh, so thank you for your grace on that and your patience with me. I'll, I'll heal up, um, and I'll be uh, maybe a better uh, looking next week. Who knows? Uh, it is good to have you with us. As Sarah said earlier, the beautiful thing is that the church is not a building. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he never once had in mind a building. So we are the church uh, scattered throughout. Some of you in small groups, some of you with your family, some of you excuse me, in coffee shops or in garages or in, in uh, living rooms. So good to have you on all your different devices, televisions and phones and, and tablets and, and computers as well. You know, one of the things that's interesting, because of our current reality, what we're experiencing for a temporary amount of time is something that our brothers and sisters across the globe and throughout church history have had to deal with constantly. There are our brothers and sisters even now that meet in small groups, meet in homes, meet in basements because of pressure or because of persecution. And the threat is not an infection for them. The threat is execution. And maybe just some of the inconvenience of this will remind us to be praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters across the globe. You know, as we meet together uh, in different settings and here online, we're so grateful for the technology. One of the great things that we know is that we have a God who has given us his command over and over again in scripture, fear not, do not be afraid. And we don't want to live our life in fear. God has told us that is no way to live. We don't have to live in fear. At the same time, we don't want to be foolish. Jesus told us to be as wise as serpents. And Paul said, don't live uh, as unwise, but as wise. So is there a, somewhere between 
you know, being foolish and, and this whole being fearful. And I think it's being faithful because we have a faithful God. And I had someone ask me, are you changing your whole sermon to address the issue uh, for the weekend? And the answer is no, because we've been in this series, The Truth About God. And in our times, in our current reality, I think what we need more than anything is the truth about God to be reminded that our hope and our confidence and our security is in our God. And so today we're going to continue on in this series, The Truth About God. This is uh, week Five of this. I'm so grateful for Pastor Brian and Pastor Kip uh, filling in for me while I was with some folks in Israel and Egypt, and it is good to be back. You know, one of the things that we've discovered about the truth about God is truly the truth about ourselves, and that is this. When we study the truth about God, the truth about us is that we don't have the capacity to grasp or fully comprehend the truth about God. Uh, like the psalmist said in Psalm 139, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. I, I can't grasp it. We cannot plumb the depths of the truth about God. We cannot scale the heights, and we will never achieve the horizons of the truth about God. J.I. Packer, in his book, uh, Knowing God, said that as we study this, this subject, the truth about God, is so vast that our thoughts get lost in the immensity of it. The reality is, no matter how deep our thoughts, no matter how good our thoughts, no matter how grand our thoughts about God, it still falls short of who he is. It's less than who he is. And so we continue to pursue, even though we know this pursuit will never have an end. That doesn't mean we throw in the towel, we say, forget it. In fact, just the opposite. We continue to grow and we continue to learn and we continue to develop because the more we know about God, the better we are. This verse that, that Hosea, we looked at in the very first week when it says, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Because as we know our God, it will solidify our faith. It will give us confidence. It will give us hope. And it's not just filling our heads with knowledge. I mean, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians? Knowledge puffs up. It's not just about getting all the right answers. In fact, there are people who have a lot of knowledge about God. Seminary professors, people with PhDs in theology, they know a lot about God, but nothing has been changed here. Our goal is not just to fill our heads with more information, more knowledge, but it's to be transformed by the beauty of our God. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, said this, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent that this is eternal life, that we would know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And when we know God, when we know and grow in our knowledge of him, that brings about a humility, not a pride and arrogance. It brings about a heart of gratitude, of a posture of worship, a willingness to surrender and submit, to be filled in, with confidence, with, with hope, with joy, with peace, with life. And so we're continuing to learn the truth about God. And all God's people said, Arr. Yeah, okay, so let's do that. In Psalm 113, we read these words. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? Now, this is kind of a rhetorical question. Obviously, no one is like God. And he just kind of accentuates it by saying he sits enthroned on high. There's no one that even comes close. 
And another place in Psalm 77, the psalmist says, your ways, O God, are holy. And we'll look at this in two weeks. We're going to look at the holiness of God in two weeks. I'm really excited about that sermon. It says, your ways, O God, are holy. What God, little case G there, lowercase g, what God is so great as our God? Again, rhetorical question. What idol? What God? What person? Here's the reality and the truth that we've got to hold on to, is that God is distant. Not in space, but in greatness. God is here closer than the air we breathe. He's not distant in his space, but there is a distance in his greatness. He's so far beyond. He eclipses any other thing, any other person, any other God, anything at all. You know, throughout times, there have been people that claimed or were called great. Muhammad Ali, the prize fighter, loved to say, I am the greatest. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Some of you have no idea who I'm talking about. For our Canadian friends, Wayne Gretzky was known as the great one. And as Pastor Kip shared a couple of weeks ago, Tom Brady has been referred to as the GOAT, G-O-A-T, the greatest of all times. But there is none, no one or no other thing that is so great as our God. And so we want to look at this God and continue to learn, even though it's outside the realm of the possibility that we can grasp or fully comprehend him. In the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, as in all catechisms, there's a question and there's a response. And the question they put is, what is God? And the response is this, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. These three things, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Now, I will say this. These three aspects, these three attributes of God are what we're going to look at today. And there have been untold volumes written about each of these individually. There have been numerous hours of lectures and sermons and discussions and debates on each of these. So we have to acknowledge that we're in a bit of a time constraint. We're not going to be able to cover these extensively. However, there are no children in the nursery that are crying, wanting their mothers. And there are no children in Explorers League and workers saying, can you cut the sermon short? So I may just go on and on and on, and you can just click off when you've had enough. But we're going to look at these three aspects of God, and we're going to look at them in this order. The eternal, the infinite, and the unchangeable. We're going to look at them in that order, and we're going to look at them probably with diminishing amount of time and energy and focus on them. Got to just acknowledge, limited amount of time. Limited ability on my part and limited capacity for us. But let's start with God being eternal. God being eternal. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The king eternal. When we talk about the eternal king, God being eternal, I think one of the best places to start is with the sound of music. And maybe you remember Maria, the, the, the governess who became the baroness of, of the Von Trapp kids. And she taught them this little song that says, Doe, a deer, a female deer, Ray, a drop of golden sun, me a name I call myself, and then, fa, a long, long way to run. And, and I think that was, is our concept. When we think about eternity, it's this long, long way to run. I mean, even Moses, when he wrote Psalm 90, he talks about from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's a long, long way to run. From everlasting past to everlasting future. From way back of the ancient of days, before antiquity, 
to the future and to the sweet by and by, both ways, a long, long way to run. Herein lies the problem for us in trying to understand God as an eternal God, is that we are stuck within the limitations of material, of space, and of time. We are material beings. Mass, energy, movement. We're stuck in space with height and length and and depth. But most of all, we're stuck in this timeline of time, past, present, and future. That time itself is something that we can't get out of. We can't stop it. We can't pause it. We can't speed it up. We can't slow it down. Time is this succession of moments that never ceases. They just continue to come along. This constant flow of, of, of consecutive of changes in our life. And we usually kind of mark them by laps around the sun. I'm 56 and a half circles around the sun. We, as a year, we kind of mark time by a year. We might do it by months or by weeks or days or even by hours or minutes or seconds. And some would even go even farther. A nanosecond is one one billionth of a second. A picosecond is one one thousandth of a nanosecond. This is the most smallest little segment of time, but there's these little moments, one after another after another, and they never stop. And we're stuck within this thing. It's a long, long way to run. And so we have this concept of eternity as this string of time. So when scripture talks to us about time, even in reference to God, it's our time, not God's time. For instance, Revelation chapter one, says this, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now there's a time there. Who is, who was, and who is to come. Alpha, the beginning, Omega, the end. It's that timeline. That's for our reference because we're stuck in time. God, however, is not stuck within the constraints of time and that's why we struggle with this idea or the understanding about his eternity or his eternal nature. You remember when Moses is standing before the burning bush and God tells him to go in to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and Moses says, okay, sounds good, but suppose he asked, who is it that you know, sent you? And you remember the response. God said, tell him, I am. I am that I am. I am sent you. Not I was, not I will be, I am. So God lives in the eternal now. And this is hard for us to understand. We live in the present, but it's a present that is continually becoming the past and was just, uh, just moments later, it was before it was the future. God is living in the present tense now, the eternal now. So when Jesus was talking about Abraham and how Abraham longed to see his day and the Pharisees pushed back and said, Jesus, you're, you're not even 50 years old and you think you've seen Abraham? And he says, ah, before Abraham was, I am. It's a present tense. So for God, there is no past and there is no future. This is hard for us to grasp. He is the present tense. He is the eternal now. In Isaiah chapter 46, we read these words. I am God, and there is none like me. I have made known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. Now again, we see this because we think in terms of time that God makes known the end from the beginning, like there's a distinction. Granted, that's an easy one. Or like it's a prediction. From the end, I can predict it. But with God, he is at the beginning. He is before we were 
and he is at the end already. He extends both. There is no past or present with him. Little side note on this one, one little rabbit trail. I can do this because you're watching online. If you don't want to be in the rabbit trail, you can just kind of tune me out here. One little rabbit trail. When you talk about God being eternal, sometimes, and children will do this often, and and others will if they're arguing, uh, they'll say, okay, so you say that God created everything, Genesis 1, absolutely, but what was before that? Who created God? And the reality is, God didn't need to be created. God always was. And the pushback to that is, well, that takes a whole lot of faith. And the answer to that is, absolutely. I would agree. I would concur. It takes faith to believe that God always was. I will also say, it takes as much or more faith to believe in a godless system, in a godless evolution, in a godless Big Bang, Because if there is no prime mover, if there is no deity, if there is no God, you know, creator, then it takes a lot of faith to believe back to all of the evolutionary theories to the Big Bang. But what about before that? What was before that? What created the Big Bang? Well, it just was nothing. So something came out of nothing and made all that is. That takes a great deal of faith too. Okay, my little rabbit trail and rant is over. I'm just saying, God who's never been created takes faith. No God at all to create all of this, and it just happens, takes a great amount of faith. But back to God being eternal. In 2 Peter, we read these words. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. You see, because God is not bound by time, he can move within time, anywhere he wants. So for him to say, I can slow down a day and have it stretch out for you guys what you would know as a thousand years. If you were to do the math on that and stretch out a day for a thousand years, every single second would be 102 hours. Every hour would be eight and a half months. Or every minute would be eight and a half months. Every hour would be 42 years. Now, I've preached some sermons that you have felt like went on for 42 years. I get that. But he says, I can stretch that out and I can speed it up. I can do a thousand years in a day, no problem. Because he is not bound by time. He transcends time. He is over time. He is above time. God dwells in eternity and time dwells in God. God is not bound by time. God is not within time. Time is within God. You know, we used to sing uh, that song, How Great Is Our God. Age to age you stand, and time is in your hand, beginning in the end. How great is our God. All right. Now, if you want to kind of stretch your mind a little bit here, I want to show you a, a quote uh, from a guy named Nicholas of, of uh, Souza from about the, the middle of the 15th century. It says this, because I really only have one eye that's working, I'll read it slow. Okay. For infinite duration, infinite duration, we're thinking duration, which is eternity's self, includeth all succession, and all which seemeth to us to be in succession exists not posterior to thy concept, which is eternity. Okay, let me explain that. All the things that we think were beforehand did not happen beforehand with God because it's eternity. Thus, because thou art God Almighty, Thou dwellest within the wall of paradise, and this wall is that 
coincidence, not coincidence, the coincidence where latter is one with earlier, where the end is one with the beginning, where alpha and omega are the same for now and then coincide. I know that's a big a lot of words that are hard to understand, but what it's saying is, listen, God is eternally now. It's the isness. He is the eternal present tense. He's not bound by time. Here's the really cool thing on this whole deal. Is that we would think, okay, well, so God is outside of time. God transcends time. God's not a part of time, but we're stuck in it. And this, and I mean this in the most beautiful way, to condescend to descend, to come down, to be with. And that is that God chooses. He chooses to go with us through our moments. God moves with us through our moments. He decides to descend down to where we are stuck, and he walks with us. That's the Emmanuel, God with us. While he is above and transcends and outside of time, he walks with us even in this moment. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Let, let me give you a, a, a poor and inadequate illustration of this. As I mentioned, um, I just returned uh, from Israel with a group uh, from here at Cornwall. And uh, it was my ninth trip to Israel. So the morning we got to Israel, um, that morning we were getting ready to start our tour, we were in a place called Netanya, right on the Mediterranean Sea. And I was out for a morning run. And as I was on this run, I was thinking about all the things that our group would see. I've seen it. I've been there. I've done it multiple times. I knew what they would see in Caesarea Maritima. I knew what they would see in the, on, the, the, on Mount Carmel. I knew what they would see on the Sea of Galilee. I knew how incredible it would be to be on the Mount of Beatitudes. I knew the Dead Sea and their experience in Jerusalem. I knew everything. I've experienced everything. I'd seen it all. I could have said, all right, I got you all here. We've got our bus driver. We've got our guide. Go enjoy it. I've seen it all. I'm going to stay in the bus in the hotel. I'll talk to you guys when it's all done. But that morning when I was out for a run, I knew what they were going to experience that day. And I was so excited to do that with them, to experience it with them, to discover it with them, even though I knew, even though I've seen it. I couldn't wait to experience that with them. And our God, who transcends time, he cannot wait to come down and do move through our moments together with us because of his great love for us. He is our eternal God. Now, we could keep talking about that forever, but let's move on from the eternal God to this whole concept of a God being infinite or infinitude, the infinitude of God. So many times, I think, we kind of come to this conclusion Eternity and infinite, they're kind of the same thing. And I don't think they are. I'd like to, to draw a distinction between the two for us today that maybe we'll understand uh, how these work together, but how they are, are significantly different. A.W. Tozer, in his book, uh, said that infinitude is the most difficult um, attribute of God for us to grasp. Because how can finite beings grasp and understand one who is infinite? How can we who are limited grasp and understand he who is unlimited. J.I. Packer, in his book, uh, Knowing God, talked about how it is that we can, and, and scripture instructs us, to try and see God beyond what we currently do. The first thing he says is, is to do away with any kind of thinking that limits God and makes him small. To just get that thinking out of our mind, to not even go there. 
Uh, I came across this quote of Martin Luther when he was talking to his friend Erasmus, and he said this, your thoughts of God are too human. <laughs> I think that's the case for most of us. Our thoughts of God are way too human, and we have to think beyond what our little concept. We make God in our own image. That's thinking too human about our God. The second thing Packer says to do is, is not just kind of get these small thoughts out of your mind, but then to look at what is it that, that Scripture compares God to. And we see this throughout, where God will say, hey, you know, take a look at this. Uh, if you ever read Isaiah chapter 40, you'll see this happens all the way through. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, God says, to whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, equal, says the Holy One. Like, think about this. You think about the thing that is most powerful, the greatest force you know, the, the biggest things that you know, compare me to that and see how they stack up against me. And so throughout Isaiah 40, God just does it. He lays out, here are the things that I've done. Here are the tasks that I've done. Have you not seen these things? And he talks about the nations. He talks about the dynasties. He talks about the kingdoms. He talks about these powerful men and kings and rulers and, and all these things. And then he talks about the world around. And I love it. I think it's in about verse 12. When he's talking about himself, he's kind of saying, hey, here's your God. He says, who holds the water in the hollow of his hand, holds the waters, all of the oceans, all of the seas, all of the lakes, all of the rivers, all of the puddles, all of the wells, all the cisterns, all of the water. He holds it all right there in the hollow of his hand. And as far as the heavens are concerned, he uses the span of his hand from the tip of his, his pinky to the tip of his thumb. He uses the span of his hand to mark off the heavens. Who, who else is like that? Or he says, he takes the dust of the earth and carries it in a basket. All of the sands of the Sahara, the Negev, the Mojave, every desert, every beach, all the dust of the earth, a tisket, a tasket. He says, I put it in my basket. I just carry it around with me. And those mountains, the mountains you can't even climb. I weigh those on a scale. He says, and if that's not enough, verse 26, he said this, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. He says, you look up into the night sky you can't even imagine how you could ever get there. But our God, he not only has created those, he sustains them. In fact, you can't count them. He has them all named, not just numbered. He has them all named, and he holds them all in place. Who are you going to compare me to? Or who is my equal, says the Lord. And then verse 28, he says, do you not know have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. That's that eternal part. That's, that's that duration we were talking about. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He will not grow tired or weary. And here's where I want us to use this as kind of the distinction between eternal and infinite. As I mentioned, eternal is dealing with matters of duration because we're so stuck in the time continuum. It's a matter of duration, even though God's, uh, it, you know, transcend and is outside of the realm of time, but it's duration. When it comes to infinite, 
Infinite deals with the matter of capacity, a capacity of God, not just the duration, but what is he able to do? Because we all deal with a diminishing capacity in life. I mean, uh, later in Isaiah 40, he'll say, even the youths youths grow tired. You know, we we love the the strength of of the young. and And as we get older, there's just a time when there's a diminishing capacity. You're not as fast. You're not as strong. You don't have the same, you know, uh, agility that you used to. It just happens with life. And beauty, when we try to hold on to it, but it fades. Gravity takes its toll. The sun takes its toll, and you can have the best surgeons and all the Botox you want, but eventually it takes its toll. You don't look 19 anymore. I hate to be the one to break the bad news there to you. Even in our minds, we, we learn and we grow, but as we get older, there's a, a capacity, the memory starts to fade. And, and in all of our life, there's just this diminishing capacity. Eventually, there comes to a point where the, where the growth curve, it crests, and then it starts going down. And in our world, the laws of, the laws of entropy, the, the second law of thermodynamics, that, that there's this capacity, this limited capacity. But when you're talking about the infinite God, When you talk about this matters of capacity with with God, it's immeasurable and unlimited. The whole concept of something being able to be measured is really with these degrees of limitation. But with God, there is no way to even measure his capacity. Everything else we have different. We have a ruler. We have a radar gun that shows how fast something is. We have a scale that shows how heavy something is. We can judge by the sound. We can, we can, we can measure by, by the volume. We can measure by weight, by all of these things, mass, energy. But not with God. It's immeasurable. And it's unlimited. Now, see, when you start talking about immeasurable or unlimited, that is true only of God. It can only be true of God. There is no one or no thing except God that is unlimited, boundless. You talk about unlimited resources, only God. Talk about boundless energy, only God. He is infinite in his capacity. Now, again, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but I, I want to move on because I want to take this from just the theoretical or the, even the theological down to making it very personal. And here's the cool thought on this. Because God is infinite, anything that flows from the essence of who he is, is infinite as well. Not necessarily what he creates. What he creates has a beginning and will have an end. But what flows from who he is, is infinite. So, since God in his very character and nature is infinite in his capacity, And since he did not create love, but he is love, his love is infinite in its capacity as well. So in Jeremiah, when we read this, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Yes, that can be a part of the eternity. That can be a part of the the duration. But because God is love and he is infinite, his love is infinite in its capacity as well. St. Augustine said this, God, because of his greatness, because of his infinite nature, is able to love each one of us as if there were only one of us to love. That God can give all of the full attention of his love to you. 
And he can give it all to you without diminishing what he gave to you and to you and to you and to you. David Needham in his book, Close to His Majesty, talked about how he came to an understanding of this late one night when he was walking along a beach in Oregon on the Oregon coast. He said as he was walking along the beach, the moon was out and it was shimmering across the, the ocean. And then when, the, when the, the breakers would would break there, the waves would break there, it would, it would shimmer there. And then even on the wet sand, he would see this reflection of the, of the moon. And as he was walking along and seeing this, he recognized that there was this reflection of the moon that came directly toward him across the ocean, across the waves, across the wet sand, directly to him. And on either side in the ocean, it was dark, but directly to him was the reflection of the moon. And when he moved a little bit, it moved with him. And when he moved back, it moved with him. And when he moved, kind of like the eyes of the Mona Lisa, can't get away. And as he ran down the beach, it stayed with him. And he began to realize that is like, as he's experiencing this exclusive full display of the, of the moon's glory directly to him, that he could run a hundred yards down the beach, he could run a mile down the beach, and it would still be directed at him. And he realized, no matter how far I go from God, his love is directed toward me. And I can stand on that beach, have this exclusive, full experience of the glory of the moon directed right toward me, and you can stand right here and have the full, exclusive direction, glory of the moon directed toward you without diminishing the glory of the moon directed toward me. And all of a sudden, he started realizing that's how God can love each one of us completely, fully, with all of his love, as if there were only one of us to love. He has infinite capacity to love us that way. That's why Paul writes in Romans, it's like, who could ever, what could ever separate us from the love of God? Not even death. In Psalm 139, Sarah read that earlier in that song that Ron wrote about Psalm 139. You know, you know, you've searched me and you know me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I mean, you know when I sit down and when I rise, you know when I go out, you discern my thoughts from afar. You know every word before I even say it. You knew me while I was being formed in my mother's womb. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast are some of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Why is it that Jesus could say, even the very hairs on your head are numbered? Why is it that he could say, not even a sparrow falls from the sky, but that the God would see it? Because he has infinite capacity to love you as if you were the only one in the entire universe to love. Wow, how great is our God. And all God's people said, Arr, that's amazing, this God of ours. All right, now, I gotta quickly look at one more and then, and then, uh, then we'll be done. We talked about the eternal nature of our God and we talked about this infinite capacity of our God. But this whole idea of being unchangeable, the, the fancy theological word is, is immutable, our immutable God. That means that God doesn't change. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God doesn't change. God won't change. In fact, God cannot change. A man named A.W. Pink said, in order for God to change, he would have to either get better or worse. And if it were possible for God to get better, 
it would mean that he would have been less than perfect before he got better. And since God is perfect, he can't get better. He already is perfect. And since he's perfect, he cannot become worse. God can't change. And in our world, that is with so much chaos and turmoil and so much instability, to know that we have a God who cannot change, who will not change, who is a good, good father, who loves us, who is outside of the realm of time, but chooses to move through our moments with us. A God with the capacity to love each one of us as if there were only one to love. And none of that will ever, ever change. Malachi says, I, the Lord, I do not change. I don't change. I am the same. You know, in that great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, it says, there is no shadow of turning with you. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. We're stuck in time. God comes in with us and he shows us his faithfulness. When we begin to understand that, we can say, as God did to, to Job in chapters 38 through 41, behold your God. Behold your God. And you know, I think honestly, the only proper response when we begin to grasp that, when we begin to stretch our mind, when we begin to see that, we begin to think about that, the only proper response is wowship. Now, that's a word that I kind of made up. It's like worship, but it's with this, it's not a sleepy, drudgery worship. It is with a sense of awe and wonder that God is so great, that he's so beyond what we can understand, which makes him wonderful. If, if we could understand God, if we can grasp it all, there'd be no place for him to surprise us. There'd be no way that he could overwhelm us. There'd be no way that he could transcend us but with a sense of awe and wonder that we would say, wow, God, wow, I worship you. And that's the way we are to live each day. Listen, we're in a crazy time right now. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, a lot of panic, a lot of hysteria, quite frankly. But we as God's people, we're the ones who ought to take this command, do not be afraid, and live with a great sense of peace, confidence, Security because of our great God. 